If you did not receive one, Kent, can I get that into your hands? Okay. If you did receive it, I want you to fill in the first blank there. How would you finish that statement? What do you believe regarding Scripture? So take just a minute and fill in that first blank. I'm not going to call on you to read yours aloud, so that will ease some stress. As you finish up, I think we would all agree in here this morning that Scripture is of utmost importance. I think just the the fact that you have gathered here this morning tells me that Scripture is important in your life. And so you probably have a a fairly high view of Scripture. If we consider the the thoughts of, say, an atheist or an agnostic, they really have uh, little respect for Scripture. That's why when we think about apologetics and we talk to our students, and we do training with them on how to, how to defend your faith in their junior and senior year. And we look at those things of, of how, how do we stand firm in the faith and how do we engage in conversations with people who have a radically different worldview than us. When we engage them with that conversation, if we constantly are only referring to Scripture, a lot of times an atheist is going to go, well, I don't care. Scripture means nothing to me. We have a very high view of Scripture. We understand that it is the Word of God. But a lot of times an atheist or an agnostic, they may not have a high view of Scripture at all. And so part of apologetics is helping them see the validity, the trustworthiness of Scripture, isn't it? And so we want to give people a high view of Scripture and help them see that it truly is the Word of God. So think about the statement that you wrote down. I want to give you just a, a brief working statement of the doctrine of Scripture. We don't have time to go through the entire doctrine of Scripture this morning. So here's a brief working statement that I think is a great summary of what Scripture is. God inspired the Bible, so it is inherent and authoritative, or inerrant and authoritative. Therefore, it's necessary and relevant for our lives and can be clearly understood by God's people as we read it. Now, there's a lot in that statement. And, and there's particular, in particular, six truths in that statement that we could spend a whole session on and even, even beyond. We could do a, an extensive series on. Listen to it again. First, God inspired the Bible. This is the Word of God. We'll look at that in a, a little more in depth in a few moments. But, but God led godly men to write the words of Scripture. So he inspired the Bible. Now, if God inspired the Bible... So that, that makes it inerrant and authoritative because we know God is holy, he's perfect, he, he's without, without fault, he's righteous. And so if that's who God is, if God is truth, then God, God's word is inerrant. There's no error in, in the scriptures. If that's the case, that you see a logical progression, if that's the case, if God inspired it and is, is inerrant, then we understand that it is authoritative. It holds authority in our lives. Now, if you take those three things, it's inspired, 
it's inerrant, and it's authoritative, then that means it has to be necessary for our lives. We need scriptures because it's the word of God. It's the word of our creator. It's the word of our sustainer. It's the word of our Lord. It's the word of our Savior. If that's the case, then it's necessary. We need scripture. It's not optional. It's not a book off the bestseller list. It's not something that decorates a coffee table. We need scripture which means that if we need it, it has to be relevant for our life. It's not a dusty old book. It's not something that, that we don't care about. It's not something that we go, well, it's a book from antiquity, and it's, it's got some beautiful poetry, and it's a great work of literature, but, you know, it really just doesn't mean much for life in the 21st century. That's wrong. The Bible is relevant to our lives. That's one of the great struggles for teenagers, isn't it? Young people, is to see that Scripture is relevant to your life has meaning every day in your life. If that's the case, if it's necessary, and if it's relevant, that means that we have to be able to clearly understand Scripture. A, a, great, a great battle that went on in the Reformation was over this, that, that God's people, we can all look into Scripture and we can understand it. Now, there's certainly portions of Scripture that are more difficult than others to understand, aren't there? There, there are times when you read something, and when I read something, I come across, and I just kind of shake my head and go, what in the world does that mean? And in those times we come, we say, God, enlighten us. Give us, give us wisdom by your Holy Spirit to understand the truth of, of the Scriptures. And we examine the rest of the whole of Scriptures, and we, we understand and interpret it by Scripture. So here's the question for you this morning. If this is what Scripture is, if we would all agree and say, this is what Scripture is, if that's what it is, then would you agree that Scripture is sufficient for equipping us to live our lives for God's glory? Wouldn't you agree that? That if that's what Scripture is, if it's inspired, if it's inerrant, if it's authoritative, it's necessary, it's relevant, and it's clear, if that's what God's Word is, then it should be sufficient for all we need to know to live for God's glory. We would certainly have people that would disagree. The atheists would believe that Scripture is not necessary, but we know that it is. Liberals may not believe Scripture is truly authoritative. They may have all kinds of different authorities and experience and, and tradition. All these things would play into part, but we understand that Scripture is authoritative. Postmoderns, our, our culture, may believe that Scripture is unclear. You just can't really know. It, it's kind of based on your interpretation. Is that true? Well, it's true for you, or it's maybe true for me. All these things, so they would say, well, Scripture is unclear. But we know that we can read and understand it. I, I think we would all come together on that statement about Scripture. Here's where I think we typically struggle. Is when our life gets pressed, when, when stress hits, or just the everyday living a life, is do we really believe that Scripture is sufficient? So that's what I want us to do in this opening time this morning, is I want us to go, okay, if this is what we believe Scripture is, then that demands that we understand that it is sufficient in our lives. It's sufficient for our homes. It's sufficient for our homes. Listen to the quote I put there by Kevin DeYoung. I think he he hits, hits the nail on the head. Listen to what he says. We can all say, we can say all the right things about the Bible and even read it regularly. But when life gets difficult or just a bit boring, we look for new words, new revelation, and new experiences to bring us closer to God. This is taken from a, a recent book that he just released called Taking God at His Word. It's out on the resource table if you'd like to order a copy of it. 
It's an excellent book. I would highly recommend it. I think if we're honest with each other, this is where we struggle, isn't it? It's not with the intellectual knowledge of what God's Word is, but it's with the actual trust that God's Word is sufficient for our homes. So that when we encounter difficulties in life, we often turn to other things. We often turn to the latest book or the latest fad or the latest parenting style. How often do you turn to Scripture when you confront a life problem? Is your tendency to turn to Scripture when you need to counsel your children? When your children come to you with a difficult question or when they're going through a very difficult time, is your tendency to turn to Scripture first or is our tendency just to turn and think within ourselves or somebody else's opinions? What is our tendency? Where do we lean towards? Do we lean towards Scripture first? Have you ever felt like the Bible's out of date? All of these things, depending on how you would answer this, would, would say, hey, I may not trust the sufficiency of Scripture. And so that's what we're calling you to today. So what do we mean when we say that Scripture is sufficient? What do we mean when we say that it's sufficient? Here, here's the first thing that I want you to know, that, that our understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture lies in our confidence in the sufficiency of our God. God is all-sufficient. He needs nothing. We need Him. We depend on Him. We are utterly and completely dependent upon God. And so the, our trust that Scripture is sufficient is rooted in the sufficiency of our God. So here's what we don't mean when we say that Scripture is sufficient. We do not mean that there's no benefit for math, Arthur, science, medicine, we're not saying that Scripture has every answer. I, Sydney was working on the Pythagorean theorem the other day, and I, I, was, I thought I had it, but I couldn't quite remember what it was, and I wanted to make sure I was right there. And guess what? I didn't open up to Psalms to figure out the Pythagorean theorem. I just didn't, right? Because I, we understand Scripture doesn't have any math equations in there. Now, there's some books that would say it might, right? So, so what do we mean? We're not saying that it has everything we need to know about every little detail and everything in, in life. What we are saying is this. This should be on your sheet. We are saying a working definition is that the Bible provides everything we need for knowing God and living for His glory. The sufficiency of Scripture means that the Bible provides everything we need for knowing God and living for His glory. Here's some other definitions that may be helpful for you to wrap your mind around it. John Frame says that Scripture contains all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. James Montgomery Boyce said that God's Word is all the Christian needs to grow in grace and do good deeds. Kevin DeYoung says the Word of God is more than enough for the people of God to their, live their lives for the glory of God. And Wayne Grudem, who a lot of you have his systematic theology at home, he writes this. He says, Scripture contains all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. And it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. So God's word provides everything we need for knowing God and living for his glory. I want us to look at two passages this morning. Open your Bibles to Psalm 19. Oh, man, the sound guys are bailing me out. You can't see this real well, 
And I haven't been keeping up, obviously. <laughs> My discipleship class, I told them at the beginning of class, I said, I don't work well with PowerPoint. I, don't, I never use it. And I often forget to use it and forget to click it. And I, I don't think in class, I, I never forgot to. I, we rolled perfectly. I was so proud of myself. So uh, pride comes before the fall. All right. So Psalm 19, 7 through 11. I thought you guys were doing jumping jacks back there. You are just waving at me. <laughs> All right. Let's read this together. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. These, these are two passages that I think give us a, a really solid understanding and a, a framework, a background for why we would say Scripture is sufficient. Listen to what the psalmist writes. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So there's four statements here that we see about God's word that we need to consider this morning. The first one is that the law of the Lord is perfect. There in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. It's not deficient in any way. It's the all-sufficient revelation of God. It's perfect for every situation in life that you encounter and every sin of the heart that you battle. God's word is perfect. It's sufficient. Therefore, what? What does it say? Therefore, what does it do? It restores your soul. It restores your soul. Now listen to the second thing he says about the word of the Lord. He says the testimony of the Lord is sure, which means trustworthy. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. Why? Why would it be trustworthy? Because it's true. Because it's true. When we sit back, when we read Scripture, we don't read it and then have to go, okay, I'm going to try to reconcile that with reality. Now, I don't know how much you've looked at different holy books of, of different, as I would put quote-unquote holy books, different books of, of other religions, but when you read them, that's the problem that I would have is when I read other, other books and religions, I would read them and go, that, that does not line up with reality. Why? Because it's not true. It's not true. The, the fascinating, the amazing thing about God's Word is that you sit down and read it, and it doesn't matter if we sit and we study it and read it here in Somerset or we read it at an altitude of 12,000 feet in the Andes. God's word is true. And, it, and, it, and they look at it and go, yeah, I see that in life. That makes sense. Why? Because it's true. It conforms to reality. It's, it's sure. So what does it do? Therefore, it makes wise the simple. It makes wise the simple. Don't you love the simplicity of the gospel that provides us wisdom for salvation? Something that people have just strived for for so long and they've desired so long in life is, is how, how can I, I go to heaven? And, and there's all sorts of religions that try to answer that question. And God's word takes such a, such a, a difficult question, such a huge question, and makes it simple. Makes it simple. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 21. Paul writes, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, the, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? He Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world... The God of the God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That the scriptures that are preached, that are proclaimed, the message that is proclaimed, the gospel message, something so simple, something so radical, radical and something that people would go, that's crazy. That it's that message that's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. It makes wise the simple. The third thing, third statement that he makes about Scripture is the precepts of the Lord are right. The precepts of the Lord are right. It refers to the fact that they are righteous, they're upright. Therefore what? Therefore our hearts are filled with rejoicing. Our hearts are filled with rejoicing. The second part of verse 8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure. It's pure, it's sincere, it's without blemish. Without blemish. What does it do? It brings light to the eye, it brings enlightenment, it brings encouragement. Have you seen that before in someone you're sharing the gospel with, or when someone comes to a knowledge of, of Christ for the first time, or, or they come, they just come to understand the power of scriptures and the truth of scripture before and their their eye just seems to twinkle there, there's kind of that sparkle in their eye i got a text uh from somebody this weekend that said hey pray for this guy as a guy he's been witnessing to and and um, heard the gospel wednesday night and then this at church and this guy's been just sharing the gospel with him and, and ministering to him he texted me and said hey pray for him he just learned that jesus is god you know i thought about I thought you can see it because you see that in people's eyes, don't you? When they first understand the truth of the gospel, when they first understand and they, they come to that awareness, that, wow, Jesus was not just a teacher, he was God. There's that, that enlightened eye, that eye that just sparkles, it's encouraged, it's like, wow. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It brings light to the eye. In verses 9 through 11, verses 9 through 11, you see the, the, psalm, the psalmist, he, he says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they're righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. By, moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. There's great reward, he says. Listen to what he says there. There's three things. He says, he says the word... Of God is what? It's more what? It's more desirable. It's more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey, he says. The word of God is more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. Verse 10, this, and then in verse 11, what does he say? The, the word of God warns the people of God and holds great reward for those who follow it. The, the word of God is desirable. It, it warns us. It holds reward for those who follow us. Or follow it. Isn't that, a, isn't that an incredible thought to consider? That when we understand what Scripture is, when we understand that it is sufficient, we understand that it's true and it's perfect, it's pure, it's without blemish, that it restores our soul, all those things that we just talked about, 
the, the psalmist response. He comes in, he says, man, the word of God, knowing this, the word of God is more desirable than fine gold. Man, it, it's, it's better than sweet and sweeter than honey. You see him, him longing for the word. Listen, go home this afternoon and read Psalm 119. And set aside more than five minutes to do it because it happens to be a long psalm. But go read Psalm 119. It, it, Kevin DeYoung describes it as a, a love chapter. He, he starts his book out there. He says, listen, I'm going to start with a love poem. And it's not a love poem between two people. It's a love poem between the psalmist and God's word. That he just writes and he, he, he just breaks forth in praise for what God's word is. Rejoicing over it and delighting in it. He says it's the desire of his heart is to know the scriptures, to know the word. They, he wants to know the word. Here's the truth is that when we understand the sufficiency of Scripture, we will delight in Scripture. We'll delight in it. See, unfortunately, so often, what, what do we fall into? We fall into this, this habit of, of just looking at Scripture as though it, it, it's, it's this thing that we have to do and, and, and that we just check it off. And so we, we come in the morning and we go, okay, I've read. Or we get to the end of the day and go, oh man, I haven't done that. And it's just something we, we have to do because maybe you're like me and you, you kind of have your checklist each day and the things you check off your box, right? If I don't have a checklist, I develop a checklist so I can have a checklist. And, and so that's just how I work. And sometimes I can slip into that to where I'm just checking off things on my box and, and reading Scripture. Okay, I got to do that. Boom, I got to do that. I got to do that. And it just falls in the line with them. Man, I, I pray that, that God would guard my heart from allowing it to just become so callous towards God's word that, that I would have that approach of it. Man, I want to I be like the psalmist. I want to see that it's more desirable than gold. I want to long for it. I want to see that it's more sweet than honey. I want to come to grips with the fact that, that Scripture is sufficient for my life. And it's not one of those things where somebody does something for you. Maybe you had a bad meal at, at a restaurant here in town, and, and they come back, and they try to make it right, and they go, and you ask, yeah, that's sufficient, I guess. It's, it's not that. It's, it's the, the time where, where I, I used to valet, and I remember getting in some of these cars that I will never drive, and and getting in a car, and it's like you get in there, and it's like everything you need. There's a cooler for drinks, and there's a TV screen. I mean, it's like it was crazy, you know. And I was thinking, man, this is sufficient for anything I could possibly need going down the road. Even if I'm not going down the road, it's sufficient. I, I could live in this thing, you know. So, whoa, I mean, you're blown away by the sufficiency. That's the sufficiency of Scripture is that it's more than we need. It's not just a, oh, yeah, that'll, that'll be all right. That's sufficient, I guess. No, it's, it's a, wow, this is sufficient this, is, this meets my every need. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Second passage of Scripture that we want to look at this morning is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. This is the classic passage, one of the foundational passages for our doctrine of Scripture. I, I love 2 Timothy. It was shared it with one of our young men yesterday doing a rites of passage ceremony about the importance of Paul's letter to Timothy. Because it's his last words. He's writing Timothy, and he knows that he'll probably never see him again. He knows he'll never write to him again. So what does he write? He, he writes things that are the most important to him. And so in chapter 3, he, he tells Timothy, he says, listen, difficult times are going to come. Difficult times are going to come. Men are going to pursue their own sinfulness. They're going to live in, in the ways of the world, and, and, and they're going to pursue the things of the culture around us, just like today. 
He says what? He says, but you, Timothy, continue in the Word of God. I mean, imagine all the things Paul could have told him. All the techniques, all the, the wisdom of the world, all those things. He could have said, listen, you need to remember this and, and make sure you do this and, and all these other things. But, but what is his thing? He says, listen, when it, when it all comes down to it, all these things are going to be going on and, and you're going to meet all kinds of trials and, and all kinds of difficult days. But in those, hold to the Word of God. Hold to the Word of God. Let's look at this. There's three things, three truths of Scripture. First is that Scripture is inspired by God. We spoke about this earlier. This is no ordinary book. Verse 16. Verse 16, what does he say? All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. How does he begin? All Scripture is inspired by God. This is no ordinary book. This isn't something we, we would equate with all the books on the resource table. They all bow down to this. None of them are the authority that this scripture has. When we struggle with something in our home or in relationships or just in our personal lives, we submit to the authority of scripture. Why? Because it is inspired by God. It's written by the very mouth of God. Second. Verse 16, he says scripture is what? Profitable for the believer. It's profitable for the believer. That's something we, we want to know. We want to remember that, that it is profitable for us. Again, what, one of the lies of Satan, what is it? It's to steal away that attitude towards scripture. It's to steal that from us that, that we wouldn't come to scripture seeing that it's, it's profitable, that it, we would just come and go, man, look, it's preventing me from this. It's keeping me from having a good time. It's just a bunch of do's and don'ts, just a bunch of rules. Instead of seeing, man, Scripture is profitable for us. It's profitable for us. What is it profitable to do? It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Scripture is beneficial for us. It's profitable for us what more do you seek parents in raising your children what more do we need and we think about discipling all of these young people in here we think about all the children that are gathered in the back the workers around there and they're teaching them right now so we have, we have Sunday schools in there teaching our, our children what else would we teach them oh, what better could we teach them in Scripture? Why, why do we spend so much of our worship hours reading Scripture and studying Scripture and singing Scripture? Why do we send out a, a Scripture memory verse? Why do we put a, a, a devotion in your order of worship every morning? Why do we gather every Sunday morning to study the Word? Why do we do discipleship classes? Because Scripture is profitable to us. What better resource do we have? Students, what better resource do you have to equip you to pursue the Lord? Scripture is profitable. The third thing it says is that Scripture equips the believer for every good work. Look at verse 17. So that, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So he says all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? Why? 
What's the big deal? So that. The reason is so that the man of God may be adequate. He'll be equipped for every good work. Now, listen, which good work is it equip you for? Which one? Every good work. Every one. That demands what? What we're talking about this morning, it demands that Scripture is sufficient. If it can equip you for every good work you have to do, then it is sufficient. Parents, what is the good work that you have to do? Is to raise your children in godliness. There's a lot of things that can steal away our attention and, and pull us away, but man, there's no greater task under my roof than to raise my kids in godliness. That's why, man, I'm so thankful that, that God's blessed us to, for Steph to be able to stay home. Because I know that she is there and, and her intent, and, and, and she has the opportunity to raise them to follow the Lord. I, I love that. It's such a blessing for us, and there's no, greater, there's no greater value or blessing to me for my home than to know that we have the opportunity to raise them in the admonition and the fear of the Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And what a beautiful thing to know and to read that, that God's Word equips me and my wife for everything we're going to encounter to do that. Every good word, everything that He's called us to do, His Word is going to equip us to do it. Man, praise God. Praise God for that. So what does this tell us? What does this tell us? It tells us that our homes need the Word of God more than we need Dr. Phil or Oprah or advice of a new parenting technique or wisdom of a good best-selling book. We need scriptures in our home. We need the scripture in our home, whatever it looks like. Whatever your home looks like, you need scripture under your roof. So lead your home with strength. Lead it with integrity. Lead it with passion. But above all else, lead it with the word that's inspired by God himself and sufficient to meet your every need. I'm going to give you seven things that we can trust God's word to be sufficient to do this morning. First thing is it accomplishes all that God purposes for it. It accomplishes all that God purposes for it. Listen to Isaiah 55, 11. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. You know what? Scripture is not going to accomplish everything I want it to accomplish. It's just not. And this passage, this, this verse, I think, has been abused over the years. Because we just instantly think the Scripture is going to do what we want it to do. And we can just toss it out there and, and man, it's done. Listen, it says what? It says it's going to accomplish what God sets it forth to do, what He purposes it to do. So what God sends it out to do, it will do. So we can trust God's Scriptures, God's Word, to accomplish what He purposes for it. Second is it pierces the soul. It pierces the soul. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. It pierces the soul. Verse Hebrews 4.12 continue gives us number three. It discerns the intentions of the heart. For the word of God is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Parents, you're like me. And you deal with discipline issues constantly. I, I came in a couple weeks ago and, and somebody said, how are you doing? I was just struggling, to be honest with you. 
I said, and I, I said I'm struggling. <laughs> and they kind of looked at me like, huh. They said, why? I said, well, there's six sinners living under my house, under my roof. And I'm, I'm the foremost. <laughs> I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling. But you know what? It's Scripture that pierces the soul and it discerns the intention of the heart. So we may see the actions and we may see our sinful living and we may see things that hurt one another, but guess what? Scripture, scripture gets down below just the behavior. It goes and it mines away that and pushes away that and, and operates. It's like the surgeon that comes in and, and pushes everything away to get to the problem. And what is the problem for us? The problem's our heart. So I don't want to just modify and manipulate the behavior of my children. When, when we stand on Wednesday nights and we teach the youth or on Sunday mornings or we teach the children, our goal is not to, to just modify their behavior and get them to do what we want them to do so that they're good kids. That's not the goal. The, the goal is to peel away our own sinfulness and peel away the behaviors and the stuff and the, the wrong thoughts that, that Satan's throwing at us and to get to the heart of the issue. And God's word is sufficient to do that. I, I would just say if, if you're struggling in your home with an issue, whatever it is, know that God's word is sufficient to deal with that because God's word pierces the soul and discerns the intention of the heart. Rest in that today. Number four. It leads us to salvation. It leads us to salvation. If you backed up from where we start in verse 16, Paul, Paul's calling to Timothy, he says in verse 14, he says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Then listen to what he says, That from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Scriptures lead us to salvation. I know some of you sitting in here today, the, the great longing of your heart is to see a loved one come to Christ. Maybe it's a child, maybe it's a, a sibling, maybe it's a parent. And your longing is, is God, bring them to salvation. Listen, Scripture is sufficient to open their eyes, their need for Christ, of His great love for them. It is through Scripture that God has revealed the gospel message. Trust it. Trust it. Scott's going to lead a, a, a seminar tonight on, on how do we persevere when, when our children or our loved ones just don't follow Christ. Do we share the gospel with them over and over and over again? Do we give up? What do we do? What do we do? How do we persevere through that? The place to start is to remember that Scripture is sufficient. It's sufficient to lead them to salvation. So keep sharing God's word. Keep putting it before them. Because it's the power of God for salvation. Keep putting scripture before them. Next. Uh, this is where we're supposed to be today, but Bill's stepping away from it. John 17, 17 teaches us that scripture sanctifies the believer. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's God's word that that works on us and, and it, it, it does discern the intentions of the heart and, and it, it draws us closer to God. It sanctifies us. It makes us more like Christ. So trust God's word. Come before 
God's word and, and study it and know it. Hide it in your heart. Hide it in your heart because it sanctifies you. Bill will deal with that more in the sermon. The, the word that guards your heart and mind. Number six, it guards us from sin. Psalm 119.11, your word I've treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word guards us from sin. You understand that. A lot of you adults understand that more than our young people. That's one of the things I, I wish that, that I could just help the young people in here see is that, that, man, guys, listen, if you will just hide God's word in your heart, if you'll just make that a, a central part of your life, if you'll, if you'll learn it and, and, and meditate on it, just be a student of the word, then when you're confronted with sin and, and you're struggling, you're tempted, God's word is going to guard you from that sin. The Holy Spirit brings it to mind, brings it to the front of your, front of your thoughts and, and leads you away from that sin by the power of His Word. His Word is sufficient to guard us from sin. Number seven, we talked about this a moment ago. It equips us for every good work that God has prepared for us. It equips us for every good work God has prepared. Finally, in this session, I'll leave you with four things. Four ways that a confidence in the, in the sufficiency of Scripture influences our homes. So we started by saying, this is what God's Word is. And then we said, okay, if we believe that's what God's Word is, then we really would be rather foolish to not believe that God's Word is sufficient. So if we do believe God's Word is sufficient, if we do look at those promises of Scripture and go, okay, these are things that I can trust God's Word to do, and there's certainly more in Scripture. But if these are just seven other things I can trust God's Word to do in my home, then it should influence our homes. And here's, here's four ways that it does that. Number one is it shapes our habits. It just shapes our habits, the ebb and flow of our families, of our homes. And it doesn't matter if you have kids at home or not. God's Word, the sufficiency of Scripture shapes the things you do as a family. Tonight, we're going to discuss studying God's Word. We're going to discuss counseling God's Word, praying God's Word uh, over people every day. We're going to trust, or talk about uh, trusting it with, with the salvation of our children and using God's Word to guide our children. See, it, it just influences our habits and the things we do, the way we do them. Second thing it does is it shapes our conversations it shapes our conversations. Listen, when we understand the power and sufficiency of Scripture, then we're careful to season every, every conversation with the truth of God's Word. I, I, I tell the youth, it, that doesn't mean that in every, you know, every two minutes of a conversation you give a reference and, you know, with your nerdy Bible uh, church voice and say, okay, well, Psalm, uh, Psalm 19.11 tells me this. That, that's not what it means. What it means is that, you know what, my... My conversations are informed by and seasoned with and just, and, and just covered up with Scripture. That I, I just talk and, and I'm, I'm sharing God's Word with them. They may not know it or not, but, but I'm just sharing God's truth. How? How do I do that? Why do you, how do you do that? By knowing it, by studying it, by learning it, by being a student of the Word. And as you grow in the Word and you study it and it, it becomes something that you cling to and you delight in, that you meditate upon and that you hide in your heart, then as you just talk to somebody, you talk through, through, 
through different issues in life, whether it's in your home or whether it's in your workplace or, or here in the church. We gather in a few minutes, we're going to fellowship, and there's bound to be somebody say, man, I had a terrible week. I'm struggling here. Or, or, I'm just going through a difficult time. That our response is not just drawing from our own wisdom, but it's drawing from the sufficient word of God. That we speak truth into their lives. That we point them to Scripture. They go, wow, that was great advice you gave me. Well, you know, actually, I was just sharing with you stuff that God's taught me through His Word. Actually, you know what I told you? Was it was actually found here. You know? It just shapes our conversations. Third, it shapes our discipline of children. If we trust God's Word to sufficient, it shapes how we discipline our children. It shapes that, that we don't just come in and, and just come in with an iron fist. But we come in and we punish them. They, they get what they deserve most of the time. But as they get what they deserve, they also understand why they deserve that, what's wrong, and what is the heart motivation behind that. What was the heart desire that caused that action that they're being disciplined for? You know? It, it just shapes the way we handle our children. And four, it shapes the goals of our families. It shapes the goals of our family. That our, our families are more than just pursuing success. We're, we're more than just being about raising good kids. We want to raise godly kids. We're more than just having great athletes that score a bunch of soccer goals or, or the star of the team or get a scholarship. We, we want godly young people who are going to pursue Christ and follow Him and take the gospel to the nations. And so we understand that that's the goal. The goal is that, that, that God has revealed Himself powerfully to all people through creation and specifically the message of the gospel through His Word. And that there are millions of people around our world who are lost and going to hell. Some of them across the street. Some of them up the hill right here. Some of them on top of a mountain in Peru. Some of them in Indonesia. Some in Europe. They're scattered all over. And they need the truth of the gospel. And so what is our goal? Parents, adults, why do we do the summit? Because our hearts are set on raising up young people who are going to take the gospel to the next generation. We're raising missionaries. They may be vocational missionaries. They may be teachers. But one way or the other, the young people sitting in this room are going to be sharing the gospel with people that you and I never meet when we're long gone and standing before our Lord. There will be young people that we raise up at Grace Baptist who, by God's grace, are going to have a high view of Scripture. They're going to delight in the sufficiency of Scripture and depend on Scripture. And they're going to take the message of Scripture to the nations for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you that it is sufficient to equip us for every good work.
that you've put before us. God, you are a God of purpose. And so, God, we thank you that you have laid stuff before us, that you do have plans for our lives. God, we pray that you would use us to bring you glory and to stand for the truth of your word as we pursue your plans for our lives. God, we pray that you would just deepen our love for you and our love for your word. God, may it reign supreme in our home. God, may our homes be characterized by homes that, that proclaim your word and who live by your word and who depend on your word for your glory and for our good. And we ask you to bless our time of fellowship now as we uh, just spend time encouraging one another. God, I pray that you would um, just uh, bless our conversations, uh, the time we have, and prepare our hearts to worship you in the next hour. In Christ's name.